The Ram Dhamma's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 7, The Basin at War. The desert was unchanging, ridge after ridge, spreading alluvial deposits, dirt plains, over and over again. The monotony could erode a man's mind. And when food supplies fell short, the searing heat scorched through his soul. Nothing seemed real anymore. McGee, his face dark and blistered, his beard long and dusty, moved forward across the plains with his last nutrient container. There were only a few gulps left. He had not drank anything for 24 hours and was delirious, almost like Rothstein before he jumped. Yet under it all, with everyone dead and nowhere to go, he trudged forward. His throat was parched. He ripped off the top of the container and lifted it up. Drinking what was left, he felt the orange nutrient dribble down his throat. Then he squeezed the container, hurling it into the air. It rolled across the desert floor and he laughed. Don't! Don't drink the water! Don't drink the water! He yelled. Ha! Ha! Death, McGee! Death is calling you! Damn it! This whole place! He screamed, rustling forward in the sand. He kept wandering in an erratic path just a few miles from the brown, convoluted mountains. But the image was blurry, shifting back and forth. Then he looked up at the sun. The damned sun! He yelled as he fell over into the hot sand. But he rose immediately like a valiant fighter. Over, all over, McGee! Can't die, can't die, can't die like them, he said, staggering in a circle. Then he fell again, but he didn't get up this time. The dirt was shoveled between his teeth and his tongue. He spit it out and started laughing as the sun relentlessly pummeled his body. Numbness pervaded his very spirit, the warming winds blowing his dirty hair. He shook the dirt. His mind was going. Distant voices sounded through the desert winds, harmonic tones, chanting traveling sounds, sounds that made no sense. No, he cried loudly, trying to stand. He shuffled through the dirt, only moving a few feet this and then he slammed into the ground. His face was buried in the dirt. All semblance of reality had dissolved away. Very slowly, he reached forward, squeezing the dirt. Then he grew limp. Nothing made sense anymore. An insignificant speck of life, McGee lay on the desert floor. The harmonic tones he had so forcefully denied rippled across the wind currents. There were, indeed, life forces amidst the desolation, gathered on a ridge several miles away. They were much smaller than human beings, hunched over creatures with no discernible necks and wide tails that dragged on the ground. Their heads were disproportionately large for their furry brown bodies. The fur thinned at the face, bordering a deep sloping forehead with colorful slanting eyes, combined with the greatly oversized mouths glistening with rounded white teeth, they were imposing for their height. They did not seem to have the need for clothes, and they moved into a very wide circle over the ridge, raising their arms skyward as they chanted. It was a low, melancholy chant, guttural and lispy words. And then one of them st stepped into the center of the circle. The music stopped, and the creature, apparently the leader, moved his arms slowly toward the ground, and they all assumed a sitting position. 
He had been speaking to the group for several minutes when another one of the creatures appeared on the rocks from behind. The leader, in deep concentration, stopped immediately and walked briskly from the circle. All eyes were riveted to the other creature on the rocks. He carried a single glass cube, and inside that cube, as he handed it to the leader, was McGee's sprawled image. As if he were very surprised, he moved his hands in and out, very quickly, and he gave the cube back to the other creature and left down a passageway behind the rocks. A long pink beam moved slowly out of the rocks and across the desert. McGee's body was encapsulated within the beam, raised several feet in the air. Bright white laser-like beams swirled around his body, beginning at his head and moving downward to his toes. And the sparkling green energy fields moved right through his body for several minutes, growing brighter until a reflective sphere formed around his body. And then it began to shrink, growing smaller and smaller until it disappeared from view, leaving the desert empty. McGee's eyes were clamped shut. Perception of the outer world was slowly trickling back to his senses. The air was cold and moist with a slight wind. As he opened his eyes, he saw the darkened image of a wet building roof, and he could hear the sound of a large group in the background as he gazed outward. Thousands of lights covered the hillside as far as he could see. It was the noise behind him that captivated his attention. Completely confused and dismayed, he sat up and looked around. He was directly under an enormous arching stone support that led up to a tremendous light tower. Like the lights of a stadium, the towers were all connected into a massive rim high above and supported by the stone arches below. Keeping his eyes toward the lights, he felt his face. It was smooth and clean-shaven, and he felt invigorated as if he had just come back from a vacation. In fact, he was convinced he was dead. Dead or not, he was on top of a building that circled under the arches. He walked forward, up the inclining roof. It leveled out up ahead and he had a clear view of what was happening. The building surrounded a lower open area perhaps 300 yards in diameter, an area filled with hundreds of rioting people. And above, suspended from the light towers, a multi-sided red screen was flashing warnings in bold yellow letters to the hostile crowd below. Disperse, disperse. Disperse! Disperse! McGee was astounded by it all as he moved toward the edge of the building. A large red flag, one of dozens along the rim of the building, was flapping in the breeze. It had no elaborate design, just the number 25. He looked down, possibly about 10 stories to the lower area. The people were dressed in very bright clothes. Men and women were clad basically the same baggy, pleated trousers, short jackets or vests without collars, and high-button colored shirts. The heightened colors seemed to reflect the same intense hostility. The main confrontation was taking place in front of a large metal door within the solid gray stone. Most of the people were looking upward. McGee turned to his right, saw a strange being with a white exterior with two stripes on his shoulder. He stood in front of at least two dozen red beams and behind them was what looked like a helicopter without the blades. McGee got down on one knee as the white creature spoke to the angry people. This is an official warning. All production workers in Sector 25 will cease all demonstrations 
Further improper actions will only make matters worse for everyone. Disperse immediately or face the consequences. All we want is food, shouted one man up front. Food deliveries are three days behind schedule, cried a woman with a young child in her arms. More food shipments will be forthcoming and the loaves in the basin have been equalized, said the white, said the white creature. A very tall, muscular man with long, dark hair stepped out in front of the mob. How can you talk of equalization? He asked as McGee listened carefully. The people in this sector and all other sectors produce enough food, more than enough food and supplies. How can you say we're falling short? I am not here to answer the workers' questions, said the white creature, another red type of being ran from the large vehicle and whispered something in his ear. He nodded his head and looked down at the people again. I have just been informed there are more zoomers on the way. 500 zone fighters have been transferred to this sector. Your threats mean nothing to us, shouted the same man. Perhaps we should control our own food shipments. Then our people would not be starving. You will be silent. Production workers do not control. They work, shouted the Zone, growing angry. He turned and stepped back to the Zoomer. The Red Zones immediately formed a protective ring around the outside. McGee sat back in disbelief. A human community controlled by spindle-like, metallic-skinned creatures. Creatures almost human, yet like robots. Aside from their blue eye panels, their faces could be nearly human. And what of humans? What were humans doing on this distant planet? He shook his head, perhaps it was not reality at all. Just minutes before he'd been dying in the desert sun and now he was feeling revitalized. It was all so overwhelming. He rubbed his forehead, trying to fathom this new world. How could he even begin to survive? He was so alone. The moist wind chilled his body. His throat tightened as he recounted all the death that lay behind him, dwelling on Annie's death in the stormy seas. The rocky grave under the red planet was only the voice of the white zone standing outside once again that broke his brooding. I have just conferred with Commander Jarrow. He spoke to me directly from the control sector. He said as the crowd began yelling even more. Listen, listen to me. He has given me authority to issue this statement. All crime, he said trying to talk over the crowd. All crimes against the Dominion will be readjusted. No actions will be taken against anyone if you dispersed right now. Leave the locusts peacefully. What? He said as they became more upset. Or we will use our dispensers, as well as our immobilizers and energy bubbles. You want our answer? Cried the man from the rear of the crowd. Several of the people were holding long, green tubular weapons of some kind. They pushed a button underneath. A slow developing red bubble of energy moved outward from the barrel, wobbling. It rolled up rapidly. The white zone and all the red zones scattered almost instantly for cover. The bubble, not making it all the way up, smashed into the side of the great stone building, producing a tremendous blast. Stone was ripped apart and debris thrown into the air. The Zomes, however, had regrouped and now fired their own dispersing weapons right at the people below. Bright bursts, a number of different colors, 
flew across the night air into the locust. There were many people killed, but the attack was answered by, answered by another energy bubble. This time, as the bubble moved through the air, the zones rushed back into the zoomer itself, and the red gathering energy moved over the top of the building, tearing open the whole top portion of the zoomer. The crowd below, fearing certain retaliation, broke apart into every direction. Through sheer panic and mass confusion, Shouted the white zone from inside the Zoomer's protective hull. You will all be destroyed if you remain in the locker. McGee watched. Some of the people remained behind. The large, dark-haired man and several other men were carrying the bubble weapon off to the side. They were conferring briefly as they tried to organize their next move. But the display screen high above them was transmitting an even more deadly message. Retreat. Retreat or be killed. Retreat or be killed. Retreat or be killed. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ram Damas Kingdom. Produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.